Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John in chapter number 2. We're continuing with this series of 1 John with the idea and the theme of walking with Jesus. That God loves us so much that He wanted to save us and He sent His Son to die for us. But beyond that, not only does He want to save us, but He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to walk with us and He wants to talk with us. We explained on Wednesday night that the one thing that keeps a, a, a wedge, a distance between us and God and our fellowship with Him is sin. But the good thing is, is that God has conquered sin by dying on the cross, and He has provided a way for us to be cleansed from all unrighteousness when we do sin by confessing our sins. But God wants to have a close walk and fellowship with each and every one of us. This same thought continues in 1 John in chapter number 2. 1 John in chapter number 2, and notice with me starting at verse number 1. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this, My little children... These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation of our sins, and not, ours, uh, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we see here? It says, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. And of course that advocate is Jesus Christ. So with the Lord's help I'd like to preach a message from the Bible here of Jesus Christ our advocate. Jesus our advocate. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God, a God who indeed is worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be served. And as we come up to you now, I'm asking that you would just give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would give us understanding, that you would help us to see how much you love us and how much you want a fellowship with us, that you died on the cross for us. I'm asking that our hearts would be attentive and that they'd be open, understanding what you have done for us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The gospel, uh, 1 John is written, of course, by John the Apostle. And he's writing as a 90-year-old man, writing to a younger generation, trying to encourage them to sin not. Notice again, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. He says, I'm writing to you so that you sin less and less. So what he says in the next couple verses was for the purpose that we would have a desire to sin less and less and less. Notice in verse 2, it says, And he is the propitiation of our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Notice the word propitiation. That is a very big word. That word propitiation literally carries the idea of the appeasement 
of God's wrath. The appeasement of God's wrath. And the word propitiation is a group of four words that describe what must happen before salvation is made available to any one of us. You see, dear friend, there's a problem that we have. The problem is is that God is a holy, righteous, perfect God. And that because of His righteousness, because of His holiness, He cannot bear to be in the presence of sin. The problem that we have, dear friend, is that we are sinners. Every single one of us. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't tell lies. But we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all told lies. The Bible says to honor thy father and thy mother. But all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all disobeyed our folks. So because of that, because of sin, there's a wedge in between God and man. That God, as much as he may love man because of his righteousness, he knows that every sin must be paid for and God cannot allow man to approach him. Man on the other side, as much as he may want to approach God, because of his sin, he cannot approach God because it would literally kill him to code to God in the state that he is in. He cannot. There's a big wedge in between. There are two parties over here that have problems and something needs to be addressed. Something needs to be taken care of to bring these two parties together. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. The first word that describes what must happen in order for salvation to be available for us is a Bible word called substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. That word substitute, that means that he took our place. Just like if you had a substitute teacher, a substitute would take the place of that teacher. The word atonement means to pay the penalty of. So Jesus was our substitutionary atonement. You see, Jesus loved us so much, he understood that sin needed to be paid for. And so what he did is he robed himself in flesh and came on this earth. Jesus lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, or the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus died to pay the price, to pay the penalty that you and I owed God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Because of our sins, something had to die. And Jesus knew that if we died, we'd have to go to that awful place called hell. So what Jesus did is he volunteered and died For us on our behalf, he paid the price for us. He became our substitute and our atonement. He died for us and he died as us. The next word that covers what must happen before salvation is offered to any man, not only substitutionary atonement, but propitiation. The word propitiation means the appeasement of God's wrath. What happened is that God is no longer angry with our sin because of what Jesus did. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he literally died. They buried him in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, Jesus Christ arose again. And when he arose again, it proved two things. It proved that Jesus was God and that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. That God is no longer angry because sin's penalty has been paid. Which brings us to the other side over here. 
that for man, that the Bible says he was our redemption. He was our redemption. That Jesus Christ redeemed us. The word redeemed means to purchase as from a slave market. He purchased us with his blood. That when Jesus died, the penalty that was required was death. And Jesus' blood paid the price of our sin and he became our redemption. He became our redemption. He was our substitutionary atonement. He was our propitiation, not for us, for us only, but for, the, all, but for the sins of the whole world. Then he was our redemption. He purchased us. All that was left is one last thing, and that's the word reconciliation. The word reconciliation means to bring two parties together in agreement. That what happened is that you had God over here who could not allow man to approach because of his sin. And that the sin had to be paid for. You had man over here who because of his sin he could not approach to God. Jesus was the mediator between God and man and said, hey, what was required? Death is required. What is required? My sin has to be paid for. Jesus paid the price. And then all that remains is both parties have to agree to the payment. So God, are you satisfied with the payment? And of course he was. He was our propitiation. All that is left is for each one of us individually to accept the payment that Jesus made for us. We do that by giving Him permission. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And that all we have to do on our part is to accept the payment that he made. You see, even as prayer cannot save you, Jesus saves you. All that you're doing when you pray is that you're giving him permission to pay the price that you owed him. He was our propitiation. Which brings me to the main thing here. Notice this if you wouldn't mind in verse number 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous. Here in verses 1 and 2, we have a lot of legal terms. We have the word propitiation. We have the word advocate. These are legal terms. And basically, God is setting up an image of a courtroom up in heaven. You understand how our courts work today. Maybe you could go with me and see the people in this courtroom, in the courtroom of heaven. The first person we have is the defendant, the person that's on trial. That would be you or I. And we are the defendant. We're on trial. And we're guilty. And we're understanding that our sin requires a payment. And our sin is being, being addressed. Not only do we have a defendant, but in a courtroom you also have a prosecutor. You have a prosecutor. This prosecutor, of course, is Satan. Satan's job is to accuse the brethren. You know what Satan is doing right now? He's standing before God and saying, Hey, you know what so-and-so is doing? Look, this is what they did. And Satan is pronouncing our sins before God. He is the accuser of the brethren. He says, You know what they did last week? And he brings it up. But there's also a third person within this courtroom. We have the defendant. We have the prosecutor, but we also have our advocate. The word advocate means our lawyer. You know we have a lawyer? That's Jesus Christ, 
the righteousness. That Jesus Christ, He is standing before us, and because He's already paid the price, we already hired the lawyer. Every time the prosecutor, Satan, says, Hey, you know what this person did? Jesus says, I object. That payment has already been made. Satan can say, Well, you don't understand. They did this. And Jesus says, I object. That payment has already been made. I have paid it with my blood. It is done and over with. Satan may say, hey, look. Look at what they're doing right now. Jesus says, I object. The payment has already been made. Notice if you wouldn't mind this. Notice what the title it gives for Jesus in verse 2. It says, Jesus Christ, the righteous That word righteous carries the idea of the one who is pure. You know, Jesus Christ is the one who can stand before God. And because he is pure, he is without sin. He says, I have paid the price. That payment is made. He has my record on his account. Literally, if you were to open up our record up in heaven, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you were to open up the record, you know what it would be? It would be blank. Because when Jesus paid our price, he also erased it from the courtroom, from the transcripts. It is gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. They are gone because Jesus Christ paid it all. But there's also a fourth person in this courtroom. We have the defendant. We have the prosecutor. We have the lawyer, Jesus Christ the righteous, by the way. That also means he never lost a case. Hey, I want a lawyer who's never lost a case. But notice there's a fourth person in here, and it's the judge. But I want you to notice the name of God used in here for the judge in verse number 2. We, my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, God is not just merely our God or our judge. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you know what? He becomes your heavenly Father. And there is something about a Father's love. That God loves you so much, he, if, if the payment has been made, He's not going to make you pay that payment again. He's not going to make you Um, if it's already been paid for, he's going to let it go. There's something about a father's love. If you wouldn't mind, turn with me, and I'm going to find it, if you wouldn't mind, to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, and I want to show you something amazing about a father's love. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, in the book of Deuteronomy, and I should have been a little bit prepared, forgive me, but in the book of Deuteronomy, And for, uh, chapter 21, Deuteronomy in chapter 21. And I want to show you something that's in the law books. Since we're talking about lawyer terms, let's go to the book of Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law. And I want to show you something that's written in the law that's on the books. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, and notice with me in verse number 18. 
Deuteronomy 21 and verse 18, it says, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of the father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay a hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city and to the gates of his place. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey his voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he shall die, or that he die, so that thou shalt put evil away from you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Notice if you wouldn't mind this law. Let me retell it to you. There's a law on the books that says that if a man or parents have a son that is lazy, good for nothing, he is not getting a job, he won't obey, he won't listen, he's stubborn, he's rebellious, he won't do what he is told to do, that you could actually take him to the gates of the city. Now the gates of the city is the courtroom that they had back then. They didn't have nice buildings, they had it in the marketplace. And this is where they would go to rule on what was transpiring. And a parent can take their child and take him to court and take him before the city and say, this is my son. He's lazy. He's a glutton. He's rebellious. He won't obey. He won't listen. And I'm done with it. That literally the parent can take a child and take him out and the judge can rule because he is lazy, because he won't get a job, because he won't listen they could actually rule that he's worthy of death. And take him outside of the city and put him out in the middle and to a little in, uh, depression and there would be rocks around and they could actually stone this child, meaning he could even be 20 years old or whatever else, and stone him because he's rebellious and lazy and all of that. And this is a law that's on the books. And it says for the purpose that you put away evil. You put away that stuff. Do you know that in all of human history, how many times that law has been enacted? None. None. You want to know why? There's something about a father's love. That even though a son may break his father's heart and may be rebellious and may be lazy and may not get a job and may be good for nothing... A parent still loves that child and still doesn't want to see that child die. Do you know when it says that the judge is our father? If the payment's been made, he's not going to charge us again because he loves us. And he's forgiven us already. And he's not going to hold it to our account. There's something about a father's love. If you don't mind, let's finish the book of Deuteronomy 21. Notice in verse 22. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, thou shalt hang him on a tree. Here it's giving a prophecy. Guess what? Who's going to pay for your sins? Someone who dies upon the tree. And his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but thou shalt in any ways bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. And let thy... Land not, uh, and let thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God hath given thee for an inheritance. Here it's talking about Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus Christ was accursed for us? Our sins 
deserved a curse from God. And Jesus, who is the righteous one, the perfect one, he paid our price. He became a curse for us. And he died for us. He hung up on the tree and he paid our price. Why? There's something about a father's love. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know I preach this message quite often. And I preach it in jails. And you know I tell the prisoners who I preach at the jails with. That you should always hire your lawyer before you go to court. And for some reason they all understand that. That you hire your lawyer before you go to court. Do you know the Bible says that as soon as you die and then the judgment? That you know as soon as you die you're going to stand before God and give an account. You know when the time is to hire your lawyer? Before you face God. If you've never hired Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ to be your advocate, to be your lawyer... Let me tell you, the greatest thing you could do today is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. To allow Him to be your lawyer. To allow Him to pay your price. To allow Him to stand before God and to say, that payment is made. It is gone. I object. He no longer owes you a price. Now is the time, if you've never come to the place where you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, now is the accepted time. Now is the appointed time. Now is the time to get things settled. So that way when you stand before God, you're not standing with all of your sins. They've been paid for. You're standing before God as a son, as a daughter, as a child of the King, and that He is our Heavenly Father. Now turn back to me to 1 John and let me wrap this up. Why did, first, why did John tell us all about this? We understand that he wants everyone to come to know Christ as his Savior. But for my understanding, most people in this room have accepted Jesus Christ as, your, as their Savior already. So notice with me why this is important. Verse number 1 again. Chapter 2 verse 1. My little children. Now this is a term of endearment used... To, to talk to someone who's saved. So he's talking to saved people. My little children, these things write I unto you, so this is why I'm writing to you, that you sin not. He says, the reason why I'm writing this to you is that you stop sinning. Now, why does he go and talk about Jesus? Because we realize that Jesus paid our price. And he's paying our price, or he paid our price one point in time. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ was still God. And literally God knew all of time. Do you know what happened upon the cross during that time and that point of action? Is that Jesus Christ went and looked at your sins and examined your entire life, even the stuff you haven't even lived yet, and He paid for the price of every single sin. He just didn't die for your sins as a whole. He died for each and every sin. Literally what would happen when someone would die up on the cross, they would nail to the cross a list of all the crimes that the person has done. So literally what you do when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior is you nail all of your sins, not in part but the whole, Every sin you ever committed, ever will commit, you put on the cross of Calvary. 
And when Jesus was on the cross of Calvary, he died and felt the weight of every single sin. And he did that for you and he did it for free. But you know what that also means? That if you willingly choose to sin after you become a Christian, that is one more weight that Jesus had to bear up on the cross. Every sin that you commit further in your, in your life is one more sin that he had to pay back then. He actually went through your entire life. And then he went to someone else's life and saw the sins that they've committed until literally he paid the price. In that one point of time, he paid for each and every sin, individual sin of the entire world. And so he's writing to you and saying, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. You know, when you think about what Jesus died for you and he paid for all of your sins individually, it should cause us to desire to sin less and less and less, knowing that Jesus had to pay the price for the sin I just committed, for the sins I'm about to commit. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But notice he gives you hope. And if any man sin, so if you do mess up and you do sin, guess what? You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. God says, don't worry if you do mess up. I know you're human. And he's not giving us permission to sin. But he says, if you do mess up, guess what? That sin is already paid for. And it's already taken care of. You'll never owe God the debt of hell ever again. When Jesus died for you, he paid for your sins you used to do, the sins you're going to do today, and the sins you're going to do in the future. He paid them all. And what an encouragement that is to us. Now again, that's not permission for us to sin, but it's an encouragement to us that we don't have to, we don't have to be weighted down because of our sin. That Jesus paid it all and will never owe him the debt of hell ever again. You see, we have Jesus Christ, our advocate. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He has paid for all of our price. He has paid for all of our sins. What a great God that we have. You know what that should do? Out of appreciation, it should have some sort of desire that we desire to sin Less and less. That we should have some sort of thankfulness inside of us that says, I want to be pleasing to you, God, after all you've done for me. After all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely? After all he's done for me. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero 
6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.